Welcome to The Guide Sessions, a podcast where we talk about stories of adventure as told by the guides who experience them. I'm your host, Jim Aiken. Welcome to the show. Welcome, everyone. Thanks for joining me. I'm your host, Jim Aiken. Thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate your support. If you like what you hear, feel free to rate and subscribe. Before we get into the episode, I want to take a minute to talk about the Guide Sessions Consulting and Media Services. That's right. The Guide Sessions is not just a podcast anymore. The Guide Sessions is now the gateway to your next adventure. So please, contact me. Let me help you chase your dream. Additionally, the Guide Sessions Media provides a wide variety of photography and videography services. So head on over to the website, theguidesessions.com, for all the details. And while you're there, be sure to sign up to be notified of any cancellation hunts or trips to save some money on your next adventure. On this episode, we are joined with Wade Skeen of Skeen Gun Dogs and Outfitters. Wade is an Air Force veteran who decided to spend his retirement training gun dogs and chasing waterfowl in Kansas. He is extremely passionate about providing a hunting experience that not only keeps his clients' barrels smoking, but their bellies full. On this episode, we discuss taking advantage of opportunities, learning how to start a business, being the thermostat of the hunt experience, advice to the new duck hunter, and hunting with others' dogs. This is a great conversation where the sky is the limit. It's Wade Skeen talking with me on the Guide Sessions Podcast. All right, we are live, and today on the show, we've got Wade Skeen of Skeen Gun Dogs and Outfitters in Kansas. Wade, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Um, before we get into it, I definitely got to point out, thank you for your service. You were, uh, I guess you were in the Air Force, right, and you retired? Yep, 22 years in the Air Force, and then retired uh, 1 January of 2021, so about 18 months ago. Oh, well, well. That's a long time in there, and you've probably been places and seen a lot of things. And again, thank you for the service. I mean, freedom's definitely not free. Appreciate. It. Yeah. So as we get started, um, I know a little bit about you simply because I googled you a little bit and did some research. But I'd rather hear from you about uh, about your background and how you kind of got into guiding and as well as training gun dogs. Okay. Cool. Yeah. I. Uh, so like you already talked about, I was in the Air Force for a long time. Um, originally, I was from Mississippi, grew up there, uh, deer hunting, turkey hunting, a little bit of, little bit of waterfowling, but not a lot. Um, and then got stationed in Louisiana for a while, duck hunted there, got stationed in Hawaii for a while, didn't do any duck hunting there. Um, and then got stationed here actually 10 years ago this month here in uh, Southern Kansas at McConnell Air Force Base. So we live just South of Wichita. Um, and a buddy of mine that was here is like, Hey man, you want, you know, we were already talking about deer hunting. I was, I was bow hunting a lot of the time. He's like, Hey, you want to go duck hunting this weekend? I'm like, well, yeah. It's like, what do I need to bring? And he's like, well, just, you know, dozen, two dozen decoys and a decoy bag and shotgun and waiters. I was like, really? <laughs> and yeah. And he was like, yeah. So like, it was just like walk in hunting on, you know, public land here. And it was, you know, it was a, it was a weekday, I think. And, 
we hardly even saw anybody else out there and i'd always enjoyed duck hunting but the logistics of it was always kind of the tough part whether it was you know having a really expensive lease or a really nice boat or whatever so when i got here and found out oh you're telling me i can just walk in on dry ground to this little marsh and sit down and kill you know a limit of ducks like okay i'm i'm good <laughs> yeah so, don't touch my arm <laughs> yeah so after that like it was it was no hold bar like i got i grew up bow hunting my whole life really really enjoyed bow hunting when i got here i think i bow hunted for like two seasons and then quit i was nah, i'm wondering I, I spent too much time sitting in a deer stand wondering if anybody was shooting ducks so um just kind of went full bore into waterfowl and and um Kind of like just through just people I had known in the Air Force or people I met on social media or whatever, I started getting a lot of people asking to come out here and duck hunt in Kansas with me. And, uh, you know, was putting together pretty consistent hunts. And uh, people started asking me to come out here. And I mean, I'm going hunting either way. If you want to come, cool. <laughs> right, so, yeah. Uh, so I started, started taking a bunch of people out from, you know, just different areas and stuff. And I had a really good friend of mine, kind of a mentor to me in the dog training side of things, was out here. He's retired Navy. And uh, he, you know, he asked me, he's like, hey, man, what are you going to do when you retire from the Air Force? And I was like, I don't, I don't know. Go work for Boeing or, you know, some aviation company or something like that and, you know, make money. He's like, well, like, if I were you, what I would do is train dogs in the spring and the summer and then guide hunts in the fall and the winter. And, you know, I was like, well, Dang, that sounds pretty awesome, but I hadn't really like thought about the nuts and bolts of it yet at that point, and kind of helped a, a couple buddies out guiding for them just a little bit, um, and uh, had a couple other friends that like were booked up and they had a group column, and um, you know they didn't have room for them and they would hit me up and just be like, hey, these guys want to come out to Kansas, I'm booked up, would you be interested in taking them? So I was like, yeah, so I started doing that a little bit, kind of part time when I was still in the Air Force, really kind of just to test the waters a little bit and see if I enjoyed it as much as I thought I would. And turned out I actually like guiding more than just going out and hunting because it, you know, it adds a new element to it. So yeah, did that a little bit, sat down, kind of put down the numbers on the papers, like, okay, well, you know, what do I have to make out of this to like make it a livable income and, once I once I added all that up and looked at it, I was like, "Yeah, I think I can. I think I can do this." Yeah, so, you make a run. Kinda, yeah, yeah. So we're about to go into our third season of, of full time. Um, we our first season was the the 20, 2021 season. Then we had last year twenty one twenty two, and then going into our first full third full season now. Um, it's been. A learning curve um to say the least mm -hmm. i mean more on the business side of things i mean just you know for somebody I, I joined the air force when i was 17 so to say that that's all i ever really knew as an adult real full-time job you know <clears throat> so trying to start your own small business coming from that background definitely definitely a lot of new new stuff to take in but but yeah it's been pretty awesome so far um yeah, so I guess kind of, yeah, I guess kind of, you mentioned something and, and might 
kind of side note here, a sidetrack here, but as far as starting that business, like what was what was some of the biggest hiccup the hiccups that you had that you're like, man, I wish I knew? Um, just the probably the financial side of things of keeping keeping track of stuff and um you know, just the the ins and outs of that side of it and then probably the logistics of running not the hunts. I mean, hunting is hunting, um, but the logistics of keeping the lodge up and going, and um, you know, just just all those types of things. Yeah, having really, the help to do all that, all that stuff. Well, that, I've been pretty blessed in that since I had, I've had a lot of a lot of good help. Um, but just the just the learning curve of it from running it as an operation versus just taking people on. Mm. Um, has been, you know, has been the biggest part of, it. but you know, it's one of those things. It's just like anything else. If you're, if you got a good attitude about it and, and you're willing to adapt and stuff, you can make it work. It's just, it just, you know, might come with a little extra work sometimes. Yeah. I guess kind of like kind of what you're saying, what I'm trying to read between the lines is, is the, the big difference between just taking people out hunting and actually going out and guiding them is you get that like slight entertainment factor that you have to provide. Oh no, that's not slight. That's, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's, yeah. That's yeah. You're picking up what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. That's absolutely the most important thing in guiding. Um, it's not killing birds. No. Um, because, because there's like, first off, there's going to be hard days no matter who you go hunt with. And if they tell you that there's not, they're lying. <laughs> they're lying. Yeah. Um, so like everybody has tough days of hunting. What you, inter- how you interact with the guys, with the guests on those tough days are the difference between, you know, a good guide and, and a not so good guide because, um, you know, those days are going to come. And if you're going to keep people happy, they got to be, they got to enjoy spending time out there with you. So, you know, first and foremost, you better have a good attitude. You better be happy to be there because if you're not happy to be there, they're sure as hell not going to be happy to be there. I mean, yeah, um, you're, you're the source of energy, good or bad. Yes. At 100%. Um, and you're the, I mean, you're the thermostat because if, you know, one of the, one of the guests that woke up and is having a crummy morning or doesn't feel well, or maybe had one too many beam and cokes the night before, um, whatever it's on you to provide the equilibrium to get everybody back on track to having a good time. Um, and, and if, and if greenheads ain't dropping out of the sky, then you're going to have to start getting creative to do that. So, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, it definitely, that is, you know, I hear guys ask all the time, like, well, you know, should I work on my calling if I'm interested in guiding or this or that? No, you better work on your personal skills. Mm-hmm. Um, first and foremost, um, and then, and then, knowing how to hunt is good. But so, how, so how do you yeah. kind of keep that that the uh, the environment kind of light in in the sense of like fun? Like, do you when in the slow times you like a practical joker, like you storyteller, like what like what's what, what kind of works for you? Well, if you hadn't noticed yet, I can talk and talk <laughs> and talk. Right. Uh, so yeah, more storytelling and just and just joking around and like. So the good thing about my background is. I've lived all over the place. I've been to, you know, a couple dozen countries, damn near every state, 
you know, screwed up a whole bunch of times that I can make fun of myself for. Mm-hmm. Um, so like, you know, there's never any lack of stuff to talk about. And then two, you get guys coming in from all over the country that want to tell you their stories about, yeah. you know, you know, their, their goofy hunting buddies and stuff like that. So, you know, it's just as important to be able to listen and, and let them talk as it is, you know, being the source of entertainment yourself. So, you know, it, it, it's a, it's a give and take on it, but yeah, going into that, it, you know, yeah, I think that's a, a lot of things that, that a lot of people don't understand about guiding it. Yeah. You got to be the source of entertainment, but the client also wants to share their stories too. I remember when I, like, absolutely like years ago when I first started guiding, like you and I now we're older, we've got life experience. We've got experience in different things that we can tell different stories. But when, you know, 20 years ago, when I first started guiding, I, I didn't have those experiences to share. So like I was, right. I, me- I remember like one hunters, he was like, why are you sitting over really quiet? Don't you have, what, what stories do you have? I was like, I'm just starting at this. I was like, I got no stories to tell. I said, I'm, I'm learning from you right now. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. it's funny because like a few years ago, that same guy like messaged me on Facebook. He's like, I bet you got some stories to tell now. Like, <laughs> like he remembered that conversation that we had. Like, I was like, I have no, oh, yeah. I've got no stories right now, but you know, 10 years later, 10, 15 years later, he's like, well, what are your stories now? We got to get together. I need to hear them. You know? Yep. Yep. That's exactly right. And I mean, as a guide, you have to think about it from from the guest perspective and the fact that they've been looking forward to this trip all year long. Mm-hmm. So every little detail, every little interaction, those things, they're going to remember that because this is, you know, what you get to do every single day is the highlight of their year. They're saving up their money. They're saving up their vacation time. Um, they're 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 banking a whole shitload of marriage equity. <laughs> yeah. uh, so that so that mama ain't beating them over the head with a rolling pin when yep. they get back. So marriage you know, equity, is, I like that. Yeah, this is their end all be all, and as a guy, you need to you need to understand and and respect that in the fact that you know you need to be willing to do what it takes to make this everything that they've been hoping it was going to be since they booked this trip ten months ago. Yeah. So, and and you know, like you said, the older you get, I'm 41, so I'm not super old, but I'm not. Yeah, I'm 42, so I'm right there with you. <laughs> yeah, so uh, and so you know, like I've been some places and done some things, and and like I said, screwed up plenty of times, so I never have a lack of stories to make fun of myself. But you know, just at the end of the day, even if you don't have stories to tell, you know, know what's going on in the world. You know, know why everybody's pissed off at Joe Biden. You know, <laughs> just know you know know who the favorite for the playoff game is tonight. You know, mm-hmm. you don't have to be. You don't have to be freaking expert on anything, but at least have an idea of what's going on in the world around you. Yeah, and that's the biggest thing is most time like my my most common question is like when there's down times when there's nothing going on, is like what do you like to do for fun? And that's like the easiest question that anybody can ask mm-hmm. and answer because they're gonna want to talk about what they like to yeah. do for fun. Absolutely. I mean and and you you nailed it there too. A lot of times the biggest part of the biggest part of client interaction, guest interaction is ask them questions and let them go mm-hmm. because they, you know, they, they're just excited, just as excited to tell you about, you know, the way they hunt back home or, uh, you know, their buddies or their grandpa, they grew up hunting with or whatever. They, they are ecstatic to tell you about that stuff. So, you know, 
Oh yeah, sometimes definitely. Got to shut mean, up and get out of the way. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes you got to be like, all right, we got to be quiet now. We got, we got, we got to start hunting now. <laughs> Just be. Yep. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, that that happens all the time. Yeah. Like, like I mean, yeah. Hey, shut up. There's you know there's birds. Go- like there's one one guest that came and hunted with us on a ladies hunt a couple of years ago and uh is just really good friends of ours now and uh like i she still reminds me from time to time sweetest sweetest lady ever but she talks more than i do <laughs> and she and she talks loud all the time oh and no finally like like we had birds working we had birds working i finally had to look down there i was would you please sit down and shut up and i was like the, the mallards are right here well i'm about to yell take them yeah she but su- she's such a good sport though like she didn't get you know upset about it she didn't get her feathers ruffled nothing like that she waited though at about you know 20 30 minutes later a group of green heads snuck in behind us when I was up talking to everybody, <laughs> and she looks, and she looks at, wait, sit down, and shut up. Like, well, well played, well touche, touche. Yeah. So, but you know, and and like it's always cool when you got when you got people in like that that are easy to get along with. You know, want to have a good time. They're they're there to poke fun, and they can take a little poking right back. Mm-hmm. You know, like dude, it, that's what I tell people all the time. Like, this is my favorite part about this job. Is literally every three days I get a new group of friends to come in to hunt with. Yeah, because you know, as well as anybody, what started out with with people that you may never have met before, by the time most groups leave, they're your buddies. You yeah. know, and they're and they're already talking about, hey man, what dates should we look at for next year? Mm-hmm. And you know, and so you get you get that you know really quickly as far as. Uh, you know what what were people that were transactional in the business world become you know some of your best friends that you talk to all year long yeah i mean that's one of the best that's to me that's the best compliment is like i did in the week they're like okay you know when, when what's opening for next year we got to start planning that yeah when, when you start getting yeah. that conversation at the end of the week or at, at the end of the days i mean that's like you know it's it's like the guides like puts us on high like all right yeah i, I did oh my yeah that's yeah, you know, you know right then, like, okay, cool. Like, I did, I did everything I need to do. If they're already, and usually what I get, hey, just put us down for the same dates next year. Mm-hmm. Okay, and that, and that's when you know, like, you did, you did everything right at that point. Yeah. So, so kind of to dive into a little bit of the duck hunting. So, is all your stuff on public ground, or do you lease stuff? No, uh, uh-uh. we don't. So. Per Kansas law, you cannot guide anything on state managed land. Okay. Um, so we don't. There, there's one gray area to that where we do guide on something that's public, but it's private access. So that's a little different. But and it's not. It's not state managed. So okay. Anyway, um, but so yeah, for the most part, everything we're we're guiding on is private. Okay. Um, and then we do most of our stuff is daily stuff though. Uh, we don't do a lot of. We have a few long term leases because um, if we get the right property that we can kind of try to develop some habitat habitat on and stuff like that, we'll we'll do long term leases on that. But uh, the bulk of our stuff is just it's just day permission. You know, we pay a we pay a fee to be able to hunt it for that day because 
I so mean, then do you birds like jump, birds. yeah like do you like jump around from property to property then each day oh yeah okay. yeah 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 we don't i mean we hunt the same properties multiple times in a season but mm-hmm. almost never hunt the same property more than one day in a row okay um unless it's just like a burner you know you go mm-hmm. in there and you shoot your limit you're out of there about 8 30 and you're like okay well we're out of here and the ducks are pouring back in i guess we can hunt it tomorrow mm-hmm. um but yeah we we constantly are scouting and hunting different hunting different properties um and you know we don't do we don't do a lot of long-term leasing because it depends on what's in the fields you know if a if a farmer had a crummy header and there's more waste grain left in this field this year you know, the birds may pile into it or they may pile into this loaf pond over here nearby or, or whatever versus next year the farmer buys a new header and now there's no waste grain in there and the birds aren't using that anymore. So okay. that's why we that's why we just do the dailies and we just – I mean, when I say we scout every day, I mean we scout every day, multiple trucks running. Yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking. Yeah. Like if, if you guys tag out in the morning, what are you doing the rest of the day? Just everybody splits up and starts scouting? Uh, yeah, but it's a little bit different here in a lot of ways too. Cause so we hunt a lot of, of loaf ponds where, so I don't know how familiar you are. With I was going to say, what's a loaf so pond? I'll, that's what I was about to say. I'll break this down a little bit. Um, so the birds roost on the pond overnight, right? Okay. Or some body of water. They get up off the roost in the morning. Typically it's weather dependent, but they'll get up at sunrise. They'll go out and feed somewhere. That's usually in some sort of ag field. When they get done feeding, they'll either go back to the roost pond to sit on water for the day, or they'll kind of filter, trickle out, and hit what we call loaf ponds. And loaf ponds are just where they go out to, usually a smaller body of water, um, you know, where they can just hang out and loaf during the day. Okay. Um, So we hunt a lot of those. And in our area, that most of the time equates to a cattle pond, a cow pasture pond. Um, so a lot of what we do is we'll go hunt these loaf ponds because the birds will get up off the roost in the morning, which is typically a bigger body of water here, you know, um, a bigger private watershed that probably nobody has any access to hunt more times than not. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they'll get up off of that sometimes. Well, a lot of times they'll stop by the low po- loaf ponds on their way out to feed. So you'll kind of get like a, a shooting light. Uh, bum rush for a little while right at first light um, and then they'll go out and feed well you know this is 7 30 8 o'clock that first flight through is done there's usually a little bit of the lull there for you know 30 minutes to an hour while they're out in the fields feeding and then what happens is they start trickling back in from the feed so you know, nine, nine thirty, whatever, they'll start trickling back in in smaller groups. And, you know, you can, you can call them into the loaf ponds and shoot your ducks on the ponds that way, coming back from feeding. Um, and then that, a lot of times, like our best hunting here for mallards can really be between 10 a.m. and noon okay. or even later, or even later sometimes. Uh, so you'll, You'll wait, you'll shoot those birds coming back in. Well, when the ducks are done, the geese typically come back from, they'll feed longer and then come back to the low ponds later. So uh, most of our hunts are combo duck and goose shoots over water. Um, So 
you know, we may sit out there till one or even two o'clock uh, hunting these loaf ponds because by the time the geese are done going back to water, it's two o'clock in the afternoon. So we just hunted from 7 a.m. till noon, one, two o'clock. So a lot, and the reason I go through that whole description is because the most common frequent question that I get asked is, hey, do y'all hunt afternoons? And the answer to that is, well, it just depends. Because if we're low fawn hunting and we're out there consistently shooting birds all day, all day long till noon, one o'clock, by the time you get back to the lodge, get something to eat, nobody's wanting to go back out hunting in an hour mm-hmm. um, because everybody hunted for six, seven hours that morning. Right. Um, now, when the weather lines up perfect, we will turn around and go hunt in the evening or you know, if we just really struggle in the morning, I'll give a perfect example of it. Last year, have you ever watched the Grind Waterfowl TV? No. Okay. So it's a, it's a duck hunting show was on pursuit or is on pursuit channel, I think, but it's also on YouTube. Um, so they were out here filming last year and, um, went out, had a, had a rough day dealing with ice, killed a few birds, but it wasn't what we were really looking for. And so we were thinking about going and hunting that evening. Um, and they were like, well, we really like get some like scouting footage. And I was like, say no more. Let's, let's go get in the truck. Cause right. scouting is scouting is what we do. So we went and got in the truck and went and scouted, found a pond that's just loaded, you know, sitting, I don't know, three to 5,000 birds on it. Maybe wow. wow. And, and this is, a, and this is a combination of ducks and geese. Um, so we get permission. We make our plans on it in the morning. It's supposed to be cold that night. Like uh, it, we may have hit single digits, eight, nine, ten degrees, somewhere in there. Mm-hmm. Um, so took them back. You know, we got we got some really cool scouting footage. I think I, the episode hasn't aired yet. We'll see. Um, and then I actually went and got the ice rippers and went and just sat on the pond all night. Um, and, and ran the ice rippers just to keep it open. Well, that's all well and good, except for the next morning when the sun came up, not a single bird flew. Everything sat on the roost, which does happen sometimes when it gets really cold. They'll just sit until the warmest part of the day, uh, and they'll only go out to feed once. It was We were kind of teetering on that line on this hunt, um, as to whether or not that would be the case. But until I see that happen two or three days in a row, I'm never going to say, oh, yeah, we're just not going to go out until midday tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Um, that that doesn't fly well with anybody. Right. Yeah. <laughs> even, even, even if you've got, like, video footage of the birds doing this, guys are still, like, super, super wary of you telling them that. But it does happen. Yeah, right. So, anyway, we go out there. Nothing. Like, we saw five geese from shooting light to like 11 a.m. And, um, yeah, I mean, and it is what it is. Luckily, the people that were filming the, the show and stuff were there with me scouting. They saw it. All right, yeah. But it, Here's so, evidence of so, the but, birds. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But in that scenario, so if we go out at that morning and, you know, nothing flies, absolutely nothing flies, we know at that point, okay, we just hit the line to where, it's a once a day feed now 
mm-hmm. might as well go back and eat some lunch and come back this afternoon because once it once it warms up later on the ice starts melting and stuff like that and the birds are comfortable that the water's not going to refreeze on them when they get up to go feed that's what they're waiting on okay um then then they'll all go out to feed usually that i mean honestly that can be anywhere from one o'clock in the afternoon to like this day it wasn't until like four o'clock that evening oh, wow. um but but yeah so we went back we came back out that that evening and it was just like a one hour smash fest i mean it just went crazy because everything sat on the roost all day long by that evening it was warm all the ice was gone and the birds were hungry and i mean we were just it was just a constant vortex mm. uh, so unfortunately that did not get on film because part of the crew had to leave early um and some of the other crew stayed and we had the evening hunt but right yeah that's the that's the scenario where we will go out and evening hunt pretty mm. often as, so. as far as uh as far as ducks and geese i guess more ducks i mean what mainly you guys hunting teal and, and mallards or do you get other things passing through um i mean so our bread and butter is greenheads okay um we do get a mix of green wing teal um gadwall some pintail widgeon uh a few divers I'm trying to think if there's any other ducks that we kill on a eh, no that's really about it um okay. So we get a, we get a decent mix, um, but but mallards probably make up seventy five percent, eighty percent of the ducks that we kill, um, and then Canada geese we we kill a decent amount of Canada geese. We do get a mix of some speckle bellies in there, um, and then a few snows, but we don't get a ton of snows right in our area. All right, well. Cool. I kind of have a selfish question on my end because I'm not a huge duck hunter. I've done it a few times and, and have loved every minute whenever I've gone duck hunting. And my daughter just turned 12 and she wants to hunt ducks this year. And I'm just like, okay, I don't know anything about duck hunting. <laughs> so, like, as, as far as, like, basic stuff in terms of calling, what, what strategies can you give somebody just starting out learning how to call, like, is there like certain calls to buy? You buy acrylic or or what? And what well, calls do you practice for, on? Or when you first start out duck calling, like it, it's really up to you. If you like, if you're looking at it from the aspect of, okay, this is something I've wanted to do for a really long time. I know I'm pretty invested in it, but I'm just now getting the opportunity to start doing it regularly you know whatever reason kids are older mm-hmm. or you know you finish school or got a new job whatever now you're going to start duck hunting if, if if that's you and you know this is something that you're going to do then sure go ahead and buy an acrylic call go ahead and buy a nicer call um you can always sell and trade or whatever that call later on down the road uh duck calls are you know just like everything else like you can you're probably going to buy some more anyway, just because you want to try them out. Yeah, so this is like turkey don't, calls. Don't, like I got, I got a thousand turkey calls. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, and and like I use three of them, but yeah, you know, but I still have a thousand of them. Yep. Um. So yeah. So if you want, you know, if you want to go ahead, you feel like you're going to be pretty serious about duck hunting, then yeah, go ahead and get a get a acrylic call. I my favorite one as far as just like ease of use is a seven thirty seven number one 
um, to me, that is the easiest call to make sound like a duck that, that I've really ever blown. And I will say there's kind of two schools of thought on this. You can get a double read call or you can get a single read call. A double read call is easier to blow. It doesn't take as much control over your air pressure to be able to kind of get a ducky sound out of it. A single read call takes more control over your air pressure, but it gives you more range as a caller to make different sounds with it. Okay. Me personally, I would just get a single read. Okay. Um, because most people that get a double read within their, maybe after their first season, they're going to want to try a single read out. But, um, so me personally, I would just say, just go ahead and get the single read and learn to control that air pressure from the get go. Um, instead of waiting to just buy another call down the road. Um, if you do want to go on the cheaper side, there's plenty of cheap options too. Um, like you can, a DR 85 from Haydale's, I think is like 15 bucks at Academy and it's maybe killed more ducks than any other call in the country. Um, so like you don't have to start out with a hundred dollar call or $120 call. You can go get a, a zinc pH two is a poly call that is a really good beginner call for like 40 bucks. Okay. Um, you're, you're gonna, it's not going to be long before you're going to want to buy a nice call. Cause it's just kind of the natural progression of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you can start out with a cheap call if that's what you want to do. Um, and then nowadays we have you know, like the, it's so easy to learn something nowadays. Like you can, um, bad grammar Academy is a really good option out there. It's like 40 bucks for a lifetime membership, but it's got the complete breakdown of blowing a duck call. And it's got the complete breakdown of blowing a Canada goose call. Um, what was that? What was that? What was the name of that again? Uh, bad grammar Academy. It's from molt gear. Um, they had a, they had a, a VHS series and a DVD series, uh, similar to it for years and years and years. And, uh, three or four years ago, they revamped it and put it all digital so it, you can watch it on your phone through an app now. Ah, cool. Yeah, I've never heard um, of it. I'll look into that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, if, especially if you're learning. Like To me, there's there's a lot of good options for learning to blow a duck call out there. A goose call is a lot more. Um, it takes a lot more practice. Um, so having really, really good instruction to learn to blow a goose call is pretty important. Mm-hmm. Uh, duck Duck Lander Call Company has a series on YouTube for blowing duck calls that's really good um, for free content. Um, but yeah, Bad Grammar's legit for forty bucks for a one-time purchase. That's good forever. Ah, cool. Definitely look into that. So, yep, yeah. The the duck calling thing is it's like waterfowl hunting is just as like trinket and gear junkie heavy as any other sport out there like mm-hmm. half the reason half the reason i think most of us do it is to try to get cool toys <laughs> so an excuse to get more yep and waterfowl hunting is just as bad as, as anything else when it comes to that so oh yeah get, get ready so to kind of jump back on in terms of like your hunting setup on you got all these different daily leases do you set up like blinds on each property like no, every day so, or like do you like preseason like make agreements with the landowners and be like hey i want to put some if things are good we'll build some blinds semi-permanent semi-permanent yeah. yeah uh 
very rarely do we put any semi-permanent blinds up. There are a couple of exceptions to that on some of these long-term leases we have. Um, but like going back to the Air Force, one of our sayings was flexibility is the key to air power. I duck hunt the same way. Mm-hmm. I want to be as flexible and as versatile as possible. So uh, we do a lot of A-frame style blinds where we can set them up anywhere. Um, and that's, that's kind of our go-to. Um, so definitely, definitely a fan of the versatility of that versus, you know, the semi-permanent or permanent blinds. I will say it is nice to have a few permanent blinds, Mm -hmm. um, just for the really, really bad days. Mm -hmm. Um, because, um, you know, even in an A-frame with two or three propane heaters going and stuff like that. Um, I mean, it can knock the wind off of you. It can kind of keep you comfortable. But, you know, on those truly miserable days, having a hard shelter with, with you know, walls up and a roof and stuff like that is hard to beat. And a lot of guys are perfectly okay with saying, hey, we get it if this is not our best chance at stacking birds tomorrow. But these two older guys that are hunting with us that we really want them to go out tomorrow probably won't hunt in the seven degrees <laughs> with the 20 mile per hour North wind and sleet. Right. If we're not somewhere comfortable. And in that scenario, we say, okay, let's go somewhere comfortable and just enjoy our time and tell stories and be warm and dry. And you know what? We might shoot a few birds. We might not, but we're going to have a good time. Yeah. <laughs> and that, and that does happen every now and then. So, yeah, so as far as uh like I guess kind of moving the decoys a little bit, like how with the size that you're trying to bring in, like are you throwing out like dozens of decoys or just a couple decoys? Again, this is kind of like a selfish question of me trying to learn how to duck hunt. <laughs> I I so I can tell you this. I've never walked away from a hunt and said, "Man, I think we would have killed more birds if we'd have had fewer decoys out." Okay. So I throw everything I can on just about every hunt. Like the only, the only exception to that is early, early season. Um, I might go a little bit smaller before we start seeing major congregations of birds piled up in places. Um, but I'm going to go, I man, I'm throwing everything out there that I got time to get out there at a reasonable pace because say if we're hunting water i'm gonna have you know eight to ten dozen floater decoys between ducks and geese um, i'm gonna stack the shorelines with the uh, dakota full bodies some silhouette decoys um, you know if i'm trying to draw in attention from you know birds a long way off i might put some some sock decoys out if we've got good wind to get some extra motion um, yeah, I, if it'll fit in my trailer, chances are, we're probably going to throw it out. Uh, so you, you're throwing out a load of decoys every time. Yeah. Well, okay. Let's, let's be real honest too. Part of that's perception because if you book a hunt with me this fall mm-hmm. and you come out here and we go out one morning and we hunt a pond and we kill, you know, between the group, we kill seven ducks that day and i only put out three dozen duck floaters 
and maybe half a dozen goose flutters. Now, when we get back to the lodge and I go out scouting and you and the, you and the guys are sitting at the lodge, what are you going to say? You're going to say, man, I can't believe he only put out four dozen decoys this morning. We probably would have pulled a few more of those birds in if we had a bigger spread. Right? I guess. I mean, that, that's something to me. Like, I'm, <laughs> I'm sitting here thinking, I was like, wow, like, I may have, like, right now in my possession, like, maybe a dozen decoys total. And I'm like, now I'm sitting there like, wow, it looks like I need to get some more. <laughs> well, and, and starting out, that's okay, depending on where you're hunting and what your style of hunting is. Here is pretty good sized flocks of birds, especially on the goose side of things. Mm-hmm. And this is wide open country. Yeah, so, like the habitat that I'm I, hunting here is I got I got a large river, uh, yeah. a main river, and you know farmland that lines the river yep. that I can get permission from. So I might I be able to find an eddy from or Colorado. Oh well, yeah, we ain't that big. <laughs> we got mountains. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that's another reason that going big and a spread here is important because you can literally pull traffic off of birds on a whole other flight path that weren't even coming your direction. Right. So, um, you know, and, and again, like I said, it's perception. I'm going to do anything in my power to try to make your hunt as successful as possible. So if putting out that extra 10 dozen decoys makes me and you feel like I did everything in my power to make your hunt successful, then I'm putting out the 10 yeah. dozen extra decoys. Yep. It kind of goes back to that entertainment part that we were talking about earlier that this is, this is the perception of, you know, of what Absolutely. you expect. Yep. Did, did that way when guys leave here, if we had a, you know, a crummy hunt and it happens and mm-hmm. last year, it happened more than it ever has before, you know, guys, I had multiple groups that left last year that had not great hunting, that still rebooked and came out because at the end of the day, they said, Hey, the hunting was not great. The weather didn't cooperate, but we absolutely feel like you did everything in your power to make it successful. Mm -hmm. Uh, And at the end of the day, that's all most guests care about is that they know you worked as hard as you could to try to get them a successful hunt. Yeah. So with that many decoys out, how many times has your decoys been shot? Oh, it happens. I mean, it's like, it doesn't, I mean, it doesn't happen that much, but it's just, that's just operating experiences at this point. (laughs) You know, I think it's just. just Do you have like any penalty or any kind of like gag gift for somebody who shoots the first decoy or something? No, but it's a good idea. Other than, other than just some severe shit talking. Right. Yeah. Make them wear a duck hat the rest of the day. Yeah. No, we might have to, we might have to come up with a decoy shooter. (laughs) <laughs> belt a t-shirt like a or something like that yeah. So, yeah yeah no it, it, but it, I, I don't really get it that often though like I, i'd say i probably lose four to six decoys a season ah uh, that's not bad from yeah oh, it's not bad at all and, you worst, get, and you're probably running like even like those like those mojoy power decoys that spin wings you probably got like some of them thrown out there too right oh yeah we have we'll have, we'll have multiple lucky ducks whether spinning wings or water motion or whatever going but and and now i will say the lucky duck spinners probably get shot more than anything else just because they're up off the water um matter of fact there was one time last year where i shot one and called it (laughs) as i was shooting it actually it was it was it was two years ago so we don't we don't kill a whole lot of canvas backs here okay and and uh, we had a group of like four or five canvas backs come in 
And like, I don't, like, I don't make any bones about it. I ask the, the, the guests up front, like basically I kind of explain to them like, Hey, this is what we normally do. You tell us your thoughts on it and it's your hunt. We'll, you know, we'll honor that. But typically what we do is, you know, if it's one or two birds, three or four birds, whatever, the guides aren't going to shoot. We're just going to, you know, run dogs and, and whatever. Uh, if it's a bigger group of birds, then we usually all shoot just to help, you know, help you guys knock out more birds. And most every group we get will tell us, oh, hell no, you better be shooting every time. You know, help us help us out as much as possible. Um, but so two years ago, we're sitting on this pond and this group of like four or five canvasbacks comes in. And it was like, I don't know, two hens and three drakes or something like that. And the guys start shooting. We call the shot. The guys start shooting. Well, they knocked down like four of the five. But the last one getting out of the spread was a drake. And I was like, uh, nope. And I pulled up. <laughs> and I was like, uh, yeah, I'm going to shoot this lucky, but I don't care. And like shot it. I was not letting that drake cameras back get out of that spread. Right. But, uh, so, yeah, it happens. It but that 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 spinner's still ticking. By the way, <laughs> it's still there's a little <laughs> duct tape and glue. You'd be good to yeah. go. Yeah, uh, uh, I mean, it just put a few holes in the wings on it. Uh-huh. Other than that, it's fine. But yeah, it happens. Yeah, so um, I guess we can kind of. I'm kind of interested about your the, the dog side of what you got going on too. If you don't mind, we can switch subjects yeah. a little bit. Um, Absolutely. Because um, my I first started guiding 20 years ago. Don't do it much anymore. But the uh, it was upland game running bird dogs and stuff like that, and I guess what you run a lot of retrievers, right? Yeah, so I mean, personal dogs that, that's all I own is is labs. Um, but I, I do train some pointers, um, and, and hunt with some pointers that some of our other guides and stuff like that own. But um, yeah, I started out in the training portion in the retriever world. Um, and kind of got into some of the upland dog training later on, but not I, like I'm not running hunt tests with upland dogs or anything like that. I'm just helping yeah. guys out training, training their dogs for hunting specifically. Yeah, I was actually but, uh, going to be one of my questions. Do you train towards running, you know, AKC tests or you know NAVDA or something like that, or but you know, or you just train well, more for hunting? Well, on the on the on the retriever side, we do run uh, HRC. Okay. Um, so yeah, we, we definitely do train, um, with the intentions of hunt test on, on the retriever side. So, um, but I, I just haven't run any upland hunt test and probably won't ever not because there's anything wrong with it just because I don't have the time to add another. Yeah. You only got so much time in the day, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, so did, did you ever run hunt tests with any of your dogs? No. So it's freaking awesome. It's fun. Mm-hmm. Um, I love it. But the entire weekend is gone because um, you're gonna you're gonna be there for you know twelve fourteen hours one day, and then you're gonna be there ten or twelve hours the next day. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, like it's the whole weekend, and then if you have to travel to get there, um, you know, so trying to add more, it, it takes up a lot of time. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's fun because like. We get to see a bunch of our friends from, you know, different parts of the country that we'll beat up, you know, in hunt tests and, and all that stuff. So it's cool. But, um, yeah, I don't foresee myself adding more hunt tests in. 
Um, but as far as dog training goes, really retriever heavy, uh, but do some upland dogs as well. As far as your training, like your daily training with your dogs, like, do you have like a, a regiment, you know, like you're only going to spend like 10, 15 minutes with them a day or, or anything like that? Um, it just depends on the dog really, because, you know, dogs have this cycle. I mean, just like people do when they're young, you know, they got a, they got a shorter attention span. You're only going to get, you know, man, at, you know, when they're really young, you're going to get five minutes out of them. Um, then as they get older, that, ex- that attention span grows and grows and they can focus a little longer. Um, my goal personally is to run multiple short sessions though, where I'm going to have a dog out for 10, 15 minutes, um, you know, run, run some drills with it, run some obedience with it, <coughs> put it up, go get another dog out, run it through, run it through, put it up, go get another dog and just kind of go through that progression multiple times, um, without, overdoing any one session with the dog okay uh because yeah you know, because they all hit a point to where they're not having fun training anymore in that session and they need you know they need to they need to hit a break for yeah, a little bit like go kids. get water and, <laughs> yeah oh no exactly like like kids um so so yeah there's definitely there's definitely that uh now more advanced dogs like if we're out there running advanced dogs it's not uncommon to run a 20, 30 minute session with an advanced dog, but that's because you're running longer distances, multiple marks, you know, bigger blinds, bigger swims, all those things. So it just, it just by its nature takes more time. Yeah. So, I mean, how many right now, like personally, how many dogs do you run or train? Uh, I have five personal dogs and i think we're at like eight or nine dogs in and out for training right now oh wow you do a lot of training well well that's like kind of slow honestly comparatively speaking um so yeah do you, I, do I you think, ever not train obedience like no. there's, there comes a Obedi- point where you where you stop training obedience or is it something that you're always going to be reinforcing all the way through it, it always it always gets reinforced I mean, my five-year-old female, I still will work heel with her from the kennel in the back of the truck over to where we're working. Mm-hmm. Um, like you're always gonna, you know, you're always going to see obedience kind of ebb and flow over time, depending on what you focus on and what you don't. And, and, and you're just going to have to, you know, just do some quick little refresher training on it. And it's usually pretty, easy just kind of remind the dog like hey this still matters right right don't you know don't don't pull on the lead at hill or you know don't don't creep out past me every year i have to read uh like touch on breaking on steadiness okay because by january all of my dogs are breaking <laughs> um, they don't like they don't like they don't start that way this season right like, by the time because as a guide, the most important thing for me is to get the birds, get them back in the blind as quickly as I can so that the guests have are ready for the next opportunity of birds. Mm-hmm. Um, so in that chaos, I'm not as strict with my dogs and don't pay enough attention to them 
um, throughout the season. So eventually, by late season, they get it in their head that they can break. And that, right. when they do, I just tie, I tie them off. Simple mm-hmm. as that. Like, um, like I'm, it's not a big deal to me to tie my dogs off. I'm not too proud to say, oh yeah, by February of this year, I'm going to have my dog on a tie out because she's going to be breaking by that point because she's retrieved, you know, 500 birds and <laughs> she knows hunted, job. <laughs> hunted, yeah, hunted with, hunted with, you know, 300 people and probably 50 other dogs by this point. And, you know, and, and things just go by the wayside when it comes to being strict on her, you know, in the heat of the moment during the hunt. So, yeah, so she'll be tied up almost guaranteed maybe not this year she's five maybe she's trying to finally chill out but um yeah we'll see yeah as far as that because you mentioned other dogs like do you have um what do you call it like if a client brings a dog in and do you let the client run their dog or you always running your dog or if like if you have problems with a client's dog we encourage clients to bring their own dogs. Okay. Now, what happens That's, if the dog is like completely like untrained and and is like a a terror? A like, terror. <laughs> um. Well, okay. First off, I've never like I don't know how many dogs I've hunted with now mm-hmm. that that guest brought with them, but it's a lot. Right. Um. It's well over a hundred. I can tell you that. Yeah, because like you mentioned, um, like your job as a guide is to get the get the birds all you know any dead bird yeah. back to the blind as fast as possible but if if you got a client dog that's just like as a mess is a mess or even just like even a young pup and is just learning do you still like bring your dog as like a backup i always have one of my dogs there okay um and and that's more for like sailors and cripples and stuff like that um because like for example if we're hunting them <clears throat> a big pasture pond and the wind's blowing 30 miles per hour and we hit a goose and it sails a half a mile into the pasture over here the guest ain't walking his dog over there to get that bird (laughs) yeah guess who is yep yeah so so i always have one of my dogs there or at least one of the guides will have one of our dogs there but Mm -hmm. uh no man i've run into a couple of issues with with guest dogs but it's really rare um, and I tell everybody up front now it's, you know, it's one thing, like if you call me up and you have a group of six and it's just your group and you know, you're, you're bringing your dog and it's a lot more lenient then, right. Cause it's your group. And, and the cool thing is, is a lot of times a group will police itself so that I don't even have to, uh, say something. Mm-hmm. Um, and that goes for a lot of aspects, whether it's safety or dogs or, um, you know, anything. Um, cause most of the guys that come hunt with us are pretty freaking diehard hunters in their own right. Um, they just want to come hunt Kansas. So, uh, so I, a lot of times the groups will police themselves, but if it does get to a point where a dog is a detriment to the hunt or the, or the satisfaction of other guests in the blind, that's when I will go talk to the dog owner. Mm-hmm. Um, and and typically the way that, like, I've never had a bad interaction with a dog owner when it comes to this type of thing. Because I'm, A, I'm a dog dude. 
I want to figure out a way for your dog to be successful. Right. Yeah. So, so like the reason I'm out here hunting is to watch these dogs work. And I'm going to go out on a limb and say, if you got your dog with you and you brought them halfway across the country, me and you probably got a lot in common. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, I'm going to go talk to them from that point of view, not, Hey man, you need to go put that mud up before it, you know, no. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, that's that's a great way to approach it because it's, it's handling that, that conflict with positivity. Yeah. Well, I mean, so like, if a dog's breaking, for instance, I, I had this happen last year. I had a, I had a dog that was breaking, uh, late in the season. Good dog, man. He was just fired up. I don't know that he had ever hunted with eight, 10 people before. Cause that's an experience that's different when you're in this setting versus you and your buds, you know, maybe one or two of y'all mm-hmm. hunting normally, you know? Um, so that's one thing you got to factor in with the dog side of it. They may not be used to that many guns going off. Um, or, you know, big spins of birds and stuff like that. So dogs break and I go down there and talk to the guy. I'm like, Hey man, um, you know, I can't have him breaking. I I just, I'm, it's, I want your dog to be safe. Okay, cool. I'll keep an eye on him. All right, sweet. Mm -hmm. Next group of birds, dog breaks. I go back down there. I'm like, Hey, here's a tie out. I need you to put your dog on the tie out. Well, I'll keep an eye on I was like, listen, I understand that you want your dog to succeed, but at the end of the day, it's just as much my responsibility to keep your dog safe as it is for me to keep you safe. I'm not going to have something bad happen to that dog on my watch because Mm -hmm. I know how that would affect me if it was my dog. And I don't want you to have to deal with that. And I don't want that on my conscience. Mm-hmm. And I point, point, this was in February. I pointed down to the other end of the barn. I was like, my dog is on a, on a tie out down there. It's like, it's okay. It happens. Yeah. Let's do this so that your dog stays safe. Mm-hmm. And it's here to come hunting, hunting with us next season. And he's like, okay, man, that's, that's, you know, that's probably the right way to look at it. Yeah. So, you know, go down there. Look. You got to be careful when you're talking about somebody's dog. Oh yeah, there are some. It's, it's like there are kid. some people out there. Oh, bro, it's worse than their kid. <laughs> yeah. You can you can shit talk their kid <laughs> before you shit talk their dog. <laughs> um, so like you need to be you need to approach that in a way. The golden rule, right? If that was your dog, how would you want somebody to come talk to you about that? Yeah, you know what I mean. Yep. So and you know and just like. Uh, another time we had we had a guy that that brought his dog out that was young and she's a freaking great dog i've been talking to this dude all summer long like kind of helping him with the training process and stuff like that dog's fantastic he did intro to gunfire just like he should have she's never hunted with eight people we killed (laughs) we killed 45 ducks in you know an hour that morning right uh, let me let me rephrase that nine people um so um so yeah so that was an experience she'd never seen before so it freaked her out and you know and she's like um she's not like making noise or anything she started kind of getting a little gun shy and he came and talked to me he's like hey man she's really you know she's really a little bit nervous about all this going on i'm like yeah i mean like this is a lot for a young dog Mm-hmm. And and so he's like, well, you know, what what do you think I should do? Or and he may have brought brought it up. He's a good friend of mine, and he's a smart dude. 
he's like, I think I'm going to, you know, take her over here a hundred yards away and kind of let her get used to it a little more. And then I'll bring her back to the blind. Okay, cool. That's a perfect idea. Right. Yeah. Um, and so th- now this was two seasons ago. So, um, I've, I've hunted with his dog since then, but, um, what he did was exactly what I would have said to do or asked him to do in that same scenario. Well, turned out that they did that. They came back, kind of inched back closer and closer, kind of acclimated her a little bit to it. And she was still just nervous. She wasn't freaking out or anything, but she was just nervous. So finally, you know, he, we talk about a little more and I said, Hey, why don't we do this? We're banging out on this hunt. We're going to be done with it here before too long why don't midday today you and I take her out on a hunt, just the two of us and, you know, see if we can find us a little, a little, you know, small hole pothole where we can, you know, just shoot a few ducks, just the two of us. Mm -hmm. And, and, uh, and then that way, you know, we can kind of get her used to it that way and set her up for success. And, and that's what we did. We went and sat out in the snow and I think we killed two ducks and, she was okay, and the next day she was better, and the next day she was better, and now she's fine. But so, again, if you've got an issue with somebody's dog, go talk to them in the way that you'd want to be talked to if it was your dog. Find some. Yeah, that's pretty fair. You can't you can't ask for anything more than that. Yeah. So, yeah, it happens, but like I said, it's rare. I've never, I, I've never had to go tell somebody to put their dog up. Um. Yeah. That I'm, I'm trying to think. Mm-hmm. I can't so, think of. so overall, I mean, we're covering some ground here, but uh, I got some more selfish questions. As far Go as um, like gear wise, like camo. I mean, I've been I've been sitting pretty cold in the blind, you know, just deer hunting, and I know waterfowl always seems to be a little bit different in the cold. I don't know why. Yeah, it's because you're wet. <laughs> so. <laughs> Yeah, good point. But so, like, what for somebody who does it day in and day out? Like, what are your tips for like gear to stay warm in that in that wet environment? Man, so I'm gonna sound like a super fanboy here. Go for it. And I'm not. And, I, and I'm not. <laughs> um, like, but at the end of the day, I haven't found any gear out there as far as clothing goes that can hold a light to Sitka when it comes to fit and function. Um, I was actually kind of, for a long time, I was kind of a Sitka hater. Okay. Um, I didn't, I didn't really like the way it looked and I didn't like the price tag on it. Mm -hmm. Um, but once I got the first two pieces that of my own, it was an absolute game changer. Um, it is expensive and it's worth every penny if you can afford it. Um, there's other good stuff out there. And if I'm missing somebody that I haven't tried out yet, that is as good or better than Sitka, I apologize. But for everything that I've tried so far, it's, it's the best I've found for fit and function. Um, you can, the, the biggest difference between it and anything else I've ever found though is bulk. Uh, it's just not as bulky. So you're more comfortable. You can stay dry, you know, all these different things that offer you a way to stay more comfortable longer and 
you and I both know the longer you can sit out there and duck blind, mm-hmm. the better your odds of killing birds are. Yeah, without looking like Ralphie's little brother from a Christmas story. Oh man, I've been that. <laughs> I've been that many times. Many, yeah. many, many, many times. So yeah, so I, I don't know. And like I said, I know there are some other brands out there that are really coming on, coming on um that are in that same space, but I, I just personally haven't tried them out yet. So yeah, I know so I know Sika's got good gear. I don't have any of their stuff. Um but I know like what about like just even like just simple things like like your feet like how do you keep your feet warm do you like multiple layer socks do you like heated socks like what works for you so yeah i uh started doing this a few years ago because i'm a ninny um when it comes to my fingers and my toes mm-hmm. um i'm like really bad about that it's just my extremities just get cold so for my feet I started using gator waders a couple of years ago. That's helped a, a lot. Um, but something I do is I take like just a pair of regular Nike athletic socks, whatever ankle socks you choose. Okay. Um, and then I get those uh, stick on toe warmers mm-hmm. and I put those on the tops of my toes and, um, over that athletic sock. Okay. Then I, I take a pair of wool socks and put over that. So I started out putting those toe warmers on the bottom, but it'll hurt your toes and the ball of your feet if you're walking a lot and all mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. Um, it does work a little better heat-wise, but if you have really good insulated boots, those toe warmers will actually keep the entire inside of that insulated boot warm. Mm-hmm. And for at least 12 hours because I've, there's been plenty of days where I've worn them from, you know, 4 a.m. to 6 p.m. So even, even running so, those, those toe warmers, your feet don't sweat or just things kind of just stay hot enough in there that like, even if you're yeah, sweating, they, you don't get cold. Yeah. Yeah. They do sweat, but it's, it, it stays warm enough in there that it doesn't matter. Okay. Um, now one thing I will do though, that's a little bit different is, so on my way, so I'll put my toe warmers on before I leave the house, but then I'll wear some like ankle boots or something like that. I'll warm something, wear something that's not insulated on the way to the hunt um, so that my feet don't get sweaty before the hunt. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> And then, so usually it's cold enough on the hunt that I don't really have to worry about my feet sweating too bad at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I do, for my fingers, I do the electronic hand warmers. Um, so, and I, I've done, I've used a bunch of different brands of them. Uh, the best ones that I've found have just been like a $40 one from Amazon that says it's waterproof. I don't even know what brand it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and those things are awesome because you can, you, I mean, you just plug them up to a phone charger um, and then they have multiple heat levels on them and they work wet or dry work versus like the little chemical hand warmer packs. Mm-hmm. If they get wet, they're done. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and my hands are always wet. Uh, so, or damp at least. Right. Yeah. I mean, cause you're um, picking up a wet duck. Yeah, exactly. You know, I'm, I'm, working a dog i'm picking up a wet dog i'm you know it's always something 
Um, so yeah, those little, those little electronic hand warmers are freaking awesome. I usually have two of them. Um, one and then one just in case, cause two is one and one is zero. Yeah. So, yeah. Especially something um, like that to keep you warm. Yeah. Cause I can, if I can keep my toes and fingers warm, then I can pretty much last all day. Um, in any, like I, I can last in any environment in that. Yeah, I, th- ever, I think that's the, the, the common problem with most people is is their hands and their feet. That's when everybody wants to quit. You know, my toes. Yeah, are those 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 toe warmers, man. That was like a game changer for me because I I really struggled with keeping my toes warm and and like I smoked cigarettes for a long time. I don't anymore, thankfully. Mm-hmm. I think I think maybe my circulation to my toes and fingers just isn't as good as it should be. And I think that, you know, makes that problem worse. Um, so, yeah, that was like to the point to where it would be painful in my toes. It wasn't just like, oh, yeah, my toes are cold. He, he, no, it hurt. Um, so I think that that was a big part. Once I was able to do that, that was like a game changer. And that's one thing that people don't think about guiding too. Like, yeah, you can't quit if the, if you know, there you, is no quit. <laughs> Yeah, like, you, you quit when the hunter wants to quit. And even then exactly. you don't quit. Exactly. And like so like and that's one thing that I will say if there's anything that I don't like about guiding, that's probably one of the because there are certain times where you're sitting out there because you have to sit out there, even when you know like the hunting is probably not gonna get any better. Mm-hmm. Um and, you know, but if that's where they want to be, then by God, that's where we're going to be. So, you know, it's just one of those things. Um, so whatever you got to do to stay comfortable for the duration of that time, like there were two hunts last year, two days in a row where we sat from daylight till dark. Um, the first day it was, it was a group of hunters very first day on the hunt. Um, and it was 20, 20 degrees with about a 25 to 30 mile per hour North wind and it snowed and it sleeted all day long. I mean the entire day, but we watched while we were sitting there, we watched five to 10,000 ducks migrate in. Mm, oh, wow. Yeah. But they all did the same thing. They migrated in and they went to this big common roost pond. And they sat down on it. Well, that afternoon, the weather was supposed to break. And, you know, I mean, it wasn't, it was, it was going to get to 28 degrees and the sun was going to come out, but the weather was supposed to break. So, you know, the weather was changing. We were like, okay, maybe they'll get up. You know, we watched all these birds come in. We know they're there. Maybe they'll get up and go out and feed this evening. So we sat it out and, you know, it was, it was still cold. It was still brutal. Um, I think we didn't, they didn't, well, I don't think anything. I know they, they didn't get up that evening. They sat. Mm-hmm. Well, the next day was supposed to be again, cold, but sunny and a decent wind and stuff like that. So it's like, all right, we know where they are. Let's go hunt it. We get out there and it was one of those days like we talked about before where none of the birds fly until the warmest part of the day. Um, 
and, and in this scenario, that was like four o'clock, three, three thirty, four o'clock that evening. Now, half the group of hunters wanted to go back to the lodge, but half the group of hunters wanted to hunt. So I sat out there and hunted. Now it worked out because it was a really, really fun hour and a half. Of hunting. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, I mean, you know, you, you gotta be there if that's where they want to be then. Right. Yeah. You, you, you yeah. gotta stick it out. You know, yep. you can't, it's kind of like, cause with my, my guiding being elk hunting, you know, fitness is to me is a big thing where I can't have my hunter be more fit than I am. You know, I, yeah, can't, I, absolutely. Can't, I can't have him beat me to the top of the mountain. No. Or, or you be gassed over there trying mm-hmm. to, trying to get ahead, ahead of a bull and he's still pushing. Mm-hmm. Cause Cause you're going to look real bush league then. But, and, and that's one thing that I'm actually like, I've never, I've always been okay, decent shape, but I've never really worked out to work out. And that's one thing I'm kind of pushing towards now because we're getting old, man. Um, we're in our forties. Yeah, it, it, exactly. It's harder to stay in shape. Yeah. It is harder yeah, to stay thing, in shape. Yeah. My thing with it too is like, Waterfowl season is about as if you're if you're doing it the right way, it's about as tough as anything that mm-hmm. you're ever going to do. Oh yeah, because the the conditions you put yourself in, mixed with the length of the days, for the duration of what you have to do it, because like you know some guys are like, oh yeah, it's sixty days. No, it ain't sixty days here. It's it's we hunt November, December, January, and half of February. Um, so you're, at, I don't know, over a hundred. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a grind. Um, so it's, I mean, it's brutal on you, but at the same time, like, this is what these guys have been looking forward to all year long. Mm-hmm. If me working out and exercising now, means that I can push that much harder in January, then it's a win-win. Yeah. I mean, it's, so that's kind of, that's kind of what I finally like come to when it, when it comes to that, because I want to be able to put out the absolute best effort I can for our guests. So if that means my fat ass needs to be on a treadmill in June, here we are. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I got, uh, one more question for you before we, uh, before we wrap things up here. Um, what's the best thing that you've ever learned from a dog? Man, that's a good one. That, I mean, that, that kind of hit me in the feels there um <laughs> yeah i mean when somebody's i i mean you're i'm i'm a dog guy and you're even dog guy a thousand times more than me and you know for the little time that i've spent with dogs i'm pretty sure you've got some you know you've learned some things man i mean obviously patience mm-hmm. um you know patience overall but you know Patience makes you a better dad, makes you a better dog guy, makes you better everything. Um, as I've done it more, 
and like progress my own personal dogs through the paces more and more appreciation probably more than anything i lost a dog really young Mm. um about this time last year that was the best dog that i had ever personally trained um and really ever since then that really kind of changed my perspective on all of it a little bit more as far as you know the ability to appreciate the dogs for what they are and and how hard they work and how willing they are to because like my five-year-old female lab doesn't really care anything about working. She <laughs> does it for one reason and one reason alone, because it makes me happy. Okay. And, like, to, you know, have that kind of loyalty from something is, you know, you have to you have to appreciate that. Um, so, yeah, that, that, that appreciation, and I'm trying to think what else. You should have told me that question ahead of time. So I should, no, so I see. I, there's there's, a, there's a couple sneaky questions in there. And that's one yeah, of them where no, I was that's like, a, that's, <clears throat> that's a good one. Um, but no, no, I mean, I that's good. I mean, like I said, I was looking for your best thing and you gave me two. So I, you know, yeah. unless you, unless you got another one <laughs> on the tip of your fingers there, I, I, no, that, was, that was a great answer. So. I'm, I'm going to ponder that one some more. On my own, actually, <laughs> yeah. But yeah. No, you, you did, I mean, that's the cool thing about dog training in general though, man. You learn something. Mm-hmm. I don't care who you are. I went to a hunt test last weekend and was the first time I've ever been embarrassed by my dogs. It was, I mean, it was, it was bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, very bad. Uh, they just, I don't, I still, have, honest to goodness, I think what it was is I worked them too hard a couple of weeks leading up to the hunt test okay um and then throwing in some some other factors there with the heat and humidity and stuff like that was a little little over the top but um they just did not perform anywhere near what they had been doing in training leading up to that and we train in a very similar environment to the hunt test so it's not like it's this big culture shock to them when we go from one one you know from training into the hunt test and you know five years ago i would have gotten really mad Mm, about the way that happened um because i like i said i was legitimately embarrassed Mm -hmm. um for myself embarrassed frustrated all that stuff and yeah uh yeah i mean it you know it's different when you train dogs for a living. Um, you're going to get judged whether you should, shouldn't want to, or don't want to. Yeah. Um, and so if I go somewhere and my dogs that I'm training perform in a certain way, people are going to look at that and they're going to go, um, yeah, I don't know about, you know, sending mm-hmm. my dog to him. I mean, that's just the reality of it. Yeah. Um, and, and these dogs acted in a way that was completely uncharacteristic for them. Um, and I think if you talk to anybody that's been doing dog stuff long enough, they'll probably tell you the exact same things happened to them. Mm-hmm. And if it hadn't, you're either lying or you ain't done it long enough. Yeah. But, you know, it. I would say working, going back to the patience, man, and the appreciation. Mm-hmm. Going back five years ago, and who I was then and, and 
not having the same patience and appreciation I have for those dogs, I would have been really, really, really angry. And I was not angry this weekend. I was embarrassed. I was hurt. My pride was hurt. But I wasn't mad. Yeah, um, that's a, and that's a big difference. It's a big thing to learn. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I can I can take upset and embarrassed and and use that to get better. Right. I can't. You're you're not going to get ba- better from angry. That's one hundred percent. Um. So you know that's that's definitely you know those two both of those things that I talked about. You know, kind of cool, but coming full circle with that that's the difference having that patience and appreciation now i can take that and learn from it and work with it and get better and stuff versus without that patience and appreciation i would probably just make some more bad choices and spin my wheels and wouldn't go in a good direction <laughs> yeah yeah 100 so, well i think that's a great spot to end it so but before we sign off um where's the best place people can find you internet website facebook instagram all that stuff yeah, absolutely. Uh, our website, skiingoutfitters.com uh, on Instagram. I'm Skiing Outfitters on Facebook. Our page is Skiing Gun Dogs and Outfitters. And me personally, I'm the only Wade Skiing on Facebook. So you can always just shoot me a message directly. Um, whether you, you you know interested in hunting, got something going on with dogs, um, we are getting ready to launch something new next week that if you want me to do a quick blurb about it i will but um that we are going with a more coach-based training method to help people train their own dogs instead of um you know train the trainers instead of them that's what it's called so cool um So yeah, we're getting ready to we're getting ready to go full steam with that next week because we've seen like this huge shift in the way people learn, the way people interact. I actually did this about five years ago um, when I was still in the Air Force, and it, and it went well. But the world wasn't the same as it is now. Now people look for jobs where they can work from home, right? Right. Um, virtual learning and virtual communication is no longer like a secondary option for people. A lot of people, it's their primary option. Mm-hmm. Um, and then two, you look at the, the economic impact that some of the things we're going through right now is having, and you know, maybe a $800, $1,000, $1,200 a month full-time trainer is not the right fit for you. Yeah. So, you know, we're trying to, we're trying to find something that helps a bigger group of people, um, but still ensures that, they can take their own personal dog and turn it into something they're proud of come duck season. So, yeah, that's what we're that's what we're getting ready to do next. Man, that sounds great. I mean, definitely just being flexible. So. Yeah, absolutely. Well, man, this has been a great conversation. I definitely enjoyed this. Uh, <laughs> thanks. Yeah, thanks for coming on. You bet. I'm 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 game anytime. That's a wrap on this one, folks. Hope you enjoyed the conversation as much as I did. Wade, his guides, and his gun dogs are a great team, which is why Skeen Outfitters is a true waterfowl hunting destination in Kansas. If you are an outfitter or a guide and have some knowledge to share, feel free to reach out on Instagram at the guide sessions or shoot me an email at jim at the guide sessions.com. 
Be sure to check out my website, theguidesessions.com, to sign up to be notified of discounted cancellation hunts or fishing trips. Again, thank you for tuning into this episode. Don't forget to rate and subscribe. So until next time, enjoy your adventure.